This is Rio of Madison Rising, and you're listening to our acoustic version of the Star Spangled Banner here on KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes in bright stars through the perilous fight oh the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming in the rockets red
You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome to God's Pure Word of Faith. I'm Richard Harden, and again, I want to thank the Lord and the management of KLRN Radio for this great opportunity to share God's Word with you today. I'm going to be sharing with you about uh, baptisms. I'll be starting a series of messages on baptism. I'm not sure how long it's going to take, but we'll discuss the scriptures as we go through and cover just whatever we need to during that time. But first, before we get started here, I want to share with you another little ad about my website. Uh, it has I have a lot of videos and things that I'd like to share with you, and I'll be right back in just to few minutes in. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Welcome back. Uh, and starting on baptism, it's kind of difficult where to start, you know, on a new subject like this. It covers so much information. But I guess I'm going to start with about Jesus and his activity. Jesus, you know, didn't baptize others in water. But he showed by his own baptism, though, the importance that he placed on water baptism. The scripture stated in John uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, then princes says, Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Then continuing on, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, in Matthew 28:19, though, Jesus states for us, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We're instructed to be baptized and to baptize others. But Jesus did not say, though, that it was required for salvation. And that's one of the important things we want to take a look at it to make sure that um, this is brought out by the Scriptures. 
everything. Uh, he did mention baptism again in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, but that will be discussed later as we go through in a, in a different section. Now, the Apostle Paul was called also, and he says, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel of salvation. See, we're, we're, Jesus tells us to be baptized, but here the Apostle Paul says he was not called to baptize, but to preach the gospel of salvation. So this would indicate then here that the gospel of salvation does not include being baptized, even though it's, you know, uh, not necessarily just specifically required life or death, something like that, but Jesus says for us to be baptized. So it's an instruction, like a command, so we should be, if it's all possible for us to. Now, if a person in a hospital bed praying and receiving Christ in their heart, they can't get out of that hospital bed and go get baptized. So, you know, there's things like this that would um, be figured in. But now, the Apostle Paul does not include water baptism as part of the gospel. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, Paul states, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanias. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So here he specifically states that he wasn't sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And if the baptism was required for salvation, it would be part of the gospel, see. And he, he says he's not sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul explains the gospel in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, which states, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also you have received, wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. Now, see, this is the gospel now that he says that by which we are saved. If you keep in memory what I have preached to you, unless you have believed in vain, for I have delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried according to the scriptures. Now, in uh, looking at this, there's a use of a word in here. It says, have believed. He says, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. What does this in vain mean? Uh, in vain means to none effect. So he's saying here, unless you believed in vain to none effect. Uh, also in 1 Corinthians 15, well, Hebrews 4 2, along with this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 2, Hebrews 4 2, it states that we can hear the gospel and it have no effect in our life. Like, for an example, uh, it says in Hebrews, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So this would be like hearing the gospel in vain, uh, in vain to none effect in your life. That is, you haven't uh, responded properly to the gospel. And here in Hebrews it says, that even though you hear the gospel and it's preached to you and everything, uh, without the proper response, it doesn't do a person any good. In fact, a person is actually worse off once they've heard the gospel and rejected it than they were before they received, you know, knowledge of the gospel. But to mix it in faith would be that once you hear the gospel, that you accept and receive it into your heart. See, you have to make the choice yourself to open your heart and receive the gospel message into your heart. The gospel message being that Christ died for our sins, that he's you know, our Savior, we have to turn to for our sins. And, I, and when we recognize God teaches us that we're a sinner, 
our response then is to turn to the Lord and ask his forgiveness of our sins and invite him to come into our heart and see and that's mixing it with faith because faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God but only if we receive God's word in our heart like it says in Psalms 119.9 wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to God's word so heeding it properly is you know humbling ourselves and saying Lord please forgive me my sins please come into my heart and save me I commit my life to you so here the Apostle Paul saying, unless you believed in vain. Now, so often people say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that's it, you know, just believing. But that's not the way that was used in that verse. Believing is when you come to that intellectual knowledge and you know something is from God. You know it's God's word. You know, he speaks to us. Then we have to make the choice to accept or reject his word. And now it says, unless you have believed in vain. See, there's going to be a lot of people believe and know that Christ is in their, well, that Christ wants to come into their heart, you know, to forgive them of their sins and everything. But they'll say, I want to wait till I get out of college. I want to wait till I get married. I want to wait till, uh, you know, I get my life straight. Now, things like this, you know, to put off receiving him into their heart during that time they're in unbelief because they're rejecting doing what they know to do. They're rejecting God's word by, you know, delaying or putting him off. And that's what he's talking about here, priest, unless you have believed in vain. So you can believe and know the truth and not accept the truth. And Second um, Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, that Apostle Paul says, those are the people that are going to wind up going to hell. It says that have rejected the love of the truth. When, it, when God brings a person and teaches them and brings them to a knowledge of what they should do, the only positive response then is to receive him into your heart. Now, so that's, that's how it's used here, believing in vain. So people can be, uh, you know, believers and know that they need to receive Christ in their heart. The reason I'm trying to point this out now is because I've heard so many people say, you know, uh, that just believe in the Lord. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Yes, yes. Well, then the scripture says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And so you trust the scripture. That means you're saved. But see, only if you respond correctly to that belief. And that's what he's saying here too. So just believing and knowing. Uh, 20-something years I was in church before I became a Christian. I believe God was real. I believe Jesus was God's son. I, I thought everything was taken care of just because I, I believed that Jesus was God's son and things like this. Um, I knew that it was true and everything, but I hadn't responded and uh, invited him to come into my heart. I hadn't called out to him and asked him to forgive me of my sins. When I was nine years old, all I did was just go forward and join the church and answer the preacher's questions and everything. But after being in church so many years and everything, uh, at that children's home, we went to church every time the door was open. So after hearing so many scriptures and everything, sure, I believed in Jesus. I believed, you know, that he was God's son. And uh, a lot of times I was very close to God. But I didn't respond to him properly until oh, I was about age 33. And my problems came so bad and everything that I turned to him with all my heart, asking forgiveness for my sins and things like this. And then, see, it was true between me and God that I was saying those words of, you know, uh, I, I love you, Lord, I want to accept you, and things like this, you know. It it made a big difference in my heart because then, see, in uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, says, You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When I was nine years old, I wasn't searching for God or anything. I was just doing what my aunt and the preacher told me to do. But when I cried out in my problems and everything, from my heart to the Lord, see, that is a response God wants. He answers heart language, and he answers you when you cry out to him, wanting him. In Second Corinthians uh, 3.16 says, When it, the heart of man, turns to the Lord, the veil of separation is lifted. So here, Paul explains that the gospel is that the by which also you were saved, and keep in memory that which I preached you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. 
you know, he's paid the price for it. And if we don't accept his uh, free offer, then we're going to have to pay the price ourselves. If you don't accept Jesus, there's going to be an eternity of paying for your sins. You know, it just, he's the only way. Now, Paul doesn't state here that part of the gospel, the good news, is that we must be baptized in water to be saved. If water baptism were required for salvation, well, I think Paul would not only make the statement above as part of the gospel, which he didn't, he didn't include it in it, but he had been trying to baptize as many people as possible everywhere he went. You know, he had been, because when he shared with all those people and all those trips and journeys that he took and everything, he couldn't just share with them part of the gospel. If it was to be baptized, he'd have to get everyone of them baptized too to complete it, so to make sure that they had actually become Christians or uh, had received Christ in their heart properly. But he didn't. He said he wasn't sent to baptize, but just to preach the gospel. And he says up there in verse 14, I thank God I baptized none of you. Also, Paul says in Philippians 2.12, work out your, and make sure of your salvation, you know, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling to, to make sure that you've received the Spirit of Christ in your heart. And not just decided you're going to start trying to be good or something like that and start going to church. That's not the answer. It's when the Spirit of Christ comes to your heart. And since uh, he only comes in after you ask him to, you should know for sure then that he's come in. Because if, when you see yourself as a sinner, uh, a heart full of sins and things like this and problems in your life and everything, and then you turn to the Lord and ask his forgiveness of sin, invite him to come in, then he creates in you the clean heart, the new and puts his spirit of love in you, having that great change in your heart from all those lusts and hate and things like this, and then receiving his spirit of love in your heart, that's going to be such a change in you, you will know it. Okay. Now, people who would require us to be baptized in water to be saved would be like the Jews requiring the Gentiles, you know, in the early days to be circumcised. Because to... Uh, in those days to join the Jewish religion or join the Jewish people like that in, in their lives, uh, people had to be circumcised. Back in the Old Testament, there's one example where a whole city got circumcised to join with Jacob and his sons and everything and to have fellowship with them. It didn't work out too good, though, because when they got circumcised about a day or so later, one of Jacob's sons and a bunch of the people from the Jews went over and slaughtered all those people. But anyway, uh, requiring people, to, the Gentiles, to be circumcised to join the Jewish race, you might say, or the Jewish um, people, he says we don't have to do that now to join in God's family, to become a child of God. Um, the Jews required the Gentiles to be circumcised, as it's discussed in Romans chapter 2. We don't have to have the obedience to the law either. It's discussed in Galatians 3. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, the circumcision which is of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So he's saying today, Jews, the real Jews today are those not that have received circumcision or anything of the flesh. He said the Jew today is one inwardly. The circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not the letter. So we as Christians today, all Christians today are considered Jews here in God's eyes because he, the spirit of Jesus, Christ that was in him, the same Christ that's in us, Christ in us, our hope of glory, you know, he has come into us and created us a new heart and put his spirit in us. Christians are the Jews today. It says in this verse here, now, there are Jews of the flesh today, people born in the Jewish race today and everything, but here in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 29, it says the Jew today is, he is a Jew which is one inwardly, circumcision 
is that of the heart in the spirit and not of the flesh okay in the Old Testament days new converts to the Jewish religion were required to be water baptized and circumcised both uh, the water baptism then was like the cleansing of the dirt from or something you know to, to cleanse them so that they could become a part of uh, God's chosen race the Jews and the circumcision now Paul is saying above that water baptism does not make a Jew today it's the inward washing or baptism in the spirit and heart that makes the Jew today he says, neither circumcision of the flesh required today. It's a circumcision of the heart by the spirit. And uh, Romans 12, 13, he says, by one spirit are we all baptized into the body. And the body is talking about the body of Christ. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 13. We're all baptized by the spirit. Baptized, you know, the heart, the cleansing of the heart and the washing and everything. And in the Old Testament, they did the water baptism to represent the cleansing of their bodies and everything, you know, that they were representing that they were submitting themselves, you know, to cleansing to become a part of the Jewish race. Now, the Apostle Paul explains it. We cannot turn to the law for salvation in Galatians 3, 9 to 14. It says, So then they which are be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. The law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now that curse of the law was back in the Old Testament that if you didn't obey every letter of the law, you know, you were cursed. And they had to, you know, go um, to offer their sacrifices and, and go through, you know, uh, getting cleansed each year and forgiven. And then that's how they, you know, were related to the God in those days. But now it's in here that Christ has redeemed us from that curse of the law. He was, it says, being made a curse for us, it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. <coughs> now, the promise of the Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, verse, Ezekiel 36, chapter, in the 26th verse, um, God spoke through the prophet, or the prophet speaking God's word, however you want to say it. He says, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. Now see, this is a promise of the spirit. Now how do we receive that? He will put his spirit in us when we turn to him and ask forgiveness, invite him to come in. See, so it's through faith. It's through our faith of accepting God's word that we're a sinner inviting him to come in that then he puts his spirit in us and uh, that is the promise here where it says that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith the Old Testament people didn't have the spirit of God in them now the uh, physical work that was required and everything it, it's we have to do something now, we, we can't work for salvation. We can't earn our salvation. But we have to do the same thing the people of the Old Testament did to get right with God, you might say. Now, when they uh, turned to the Lord with all their heart, like in Job uh, thirty-three twenty-seven, it says, And he, God, looked upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which is right. See, a person recognizes they're a sinner, and that sin that they're committing is perverting what is right, and then it profits me not. See, they recognize their sin, recognize it is a perversion, and it doesn't profit them any. Now, when a person gets to that point, it says here in verse 28, Job 33, 28, he, God, 
will deliver his soul from going to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Now, what they get when they turn to the Lord, they confess, you know, their sin like that, like we do. But when God forgave them, their sin was then just covered for a period of time until they come back and did the sacrifices again for their sins. We have such a better deal. Now, we receive the Spirit of Christ in our heart at salvation when we ask forgiveness. In First John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, that's the same as He did for the Old Testament people. He forgave their sins. But now, it says in this verse, continuing, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is different than what the Old Testament people got. And this is why the scripture says then that that grace is is a gift of God. Because like in, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, Second, no, Ephesians uh, chapter 2 Verses, uh, well, chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, not all of them, but he says, For by grace are we saved through faith. It is a gift of God, lest, you know, we can't commit works or anything to receive it, but it's a gift of God so that none will boast. Let me get that exactly here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, what does it mean here when it says the gift of God? See, we do the only we do, we do the same thing to receive salvation that the people of the Old Testament, like in Job thirty-three twenty-seven, it says, we confess our sins, we ask to be you know forgiven of our sins, and He forgives us, and that's all they got in the Old Testament. They got their sins forgiven, but they didn't get cleansed from them. In Ezekiel 36, 26, which I read a while ago, it says that we not only receive forgiveness, but we receive his spirit too. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart of your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. See, and that's when we become a child of God. Like Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We're a joint heir with Jesus to all of God's promises. To You know, we're just, we're in the family of God. We're children of God. And that is such a great change. And that's why it says that it's a gift of God that we can't work for anything because Receiving his spirit in our heart is in addition to what he did for the people of the Old Testament. He forgave them. We get forgiveness of our sin, but we get cleansing from the sins. And he puts his spirit in us and welcomes us into his family. See what a great uh, new covenant we have compared to the Old Testament covenant. And in that cleansing and, and giving us a new heart and everything, we're being like baptized, cleaned up into the body of Christ. Well, the Old Testament people, uh, when they when someone wanted to join the Jewish race, they got cleaned up and went out and got water baptized like that to wash all the dirt off them and everything, you know, the, in the uh, ceremonies and stuff. But see, it's not just a ceremony for us. We get a new heart. A new heart also will give you a new spirit will up within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. Now, that's how we're baptized into the body of Christ, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into the body. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. 
It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. I was just discussing about the water baptism, the the baptism of the heart into the body of Christ in uh, Paul's statements in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're all baptized by one spirit into the body. Requiring physical work on our part or obeying the law is saying that Jesus' perfect walk of faith, Jesus, the seven sheddings of his blood. Now, what it means by the seven sheddings of his blood on the cross is that for the Old Testament sacrifices, every time the the sacrificial animal or lamb or bird or whatever was a killed, they sprinkled the blood from that sacrifice seven times before the altar of God. Sometimes the people were actually sprinkled with it too, but they were, uh, if it was for sickness or something, okay. In sprinkling it seven times like that, that was required for every sacrifice, the blood of the sacrificial animal. Well, Jesus was our sacrifice. He shed his blood as he was dying on the cross in seven different ways, places on his body. His two hands, his two feet, they plucked his beard, the crown of thorns on his head, and the stripes on his back. That's his bleed. He was bleeding like that from seven places where people had actually done something to him you know, like that uh, to hang him on the cross. And it actually mentions a sprinkling of his blood in First Peter. Uh, chapter 1, but uh, in, in saying the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, see, that's how he fulfilled then the requirements of the Old Testament sacrifice. So here, uh, Jesus' seven sheddings of his blood on the cross, his death on the cross, Jesus' burial, his resurrection, uh, if, if we're required to be baptized, obey the law, do all these other things like it talks about in Galatians and other places, you know, that would be saying that all this uh, suffering that Jesus went through, uh, his perfect walk of faith, his shedding of his blood in seven ways on the cross, and then right before he died, the Spirit of God, Christ in him, left him alone on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Left him on the cross and he was separated in his heart then from God for the first time in his life. Because see, ever since the angel had spoken to Mary, Mary received the God's living word from the angel into her heart and conceived. So Jesus had his spirit of God, the spirit of Christ in him all of his you know, uh, time here on earth until right there at the end. And he did that then. He, when, when Christ left his heart, he was left alone on the cross then, which is sin. The separation of the heart of man is sin. That's the 
you know, the true definition of it. And then, so he took our sins then as a scapegoat, because every time in the Old Testament sacrifices that there was a sacrifice, they had two animals or two birds or whatever for the sacrifice. One was killed, and then the blood of that one was sprinkled before the altar of God, the mercy seat of God. The second one, they prayed on the second one, uh, prayed the sins of the people on the second one, and led it off out into the wilderness as a scapegoat to take the sins away. Well, then see, so Jesus on the cross, right before he died, Christ left his heart. He was alone on the cross. The man Jesus died for us. The man Jesus was a uh, scapegoat taking our sins away. And if you look in the scripture, it says he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's when he was alone on the cross, taking our sins. And he died after that. We don't ever have to do that, uh, be separated in our heart from God again. Once we receive Christ in our heart, like, like I did in 1974, I will never be separated in my heart from God throughout eternity now. Because, see, we have eternal life. And he said he gives us eternal life, and that's what he means. Our eternal life starts when the Spirit of Christ enters our heart and creates in us a new heart, a new life, and we become a child of God. We'll just drop these physical bodies and be gone. But see, it wasn't that way for Jesus. He took that separation. He took that sin for us that we don't have to suffer through it. Now, when he was resurrected then uh, and exalted to the fullness of God, see, Jesus and Christ are the same now. But on the cross, they weren't. Christ was the Spirit of God, His Father, in Him. And He says that many times in the Scriptures, you know, like that. And it was the man Jesus that died for us. Um, some of the Scriptures showing that then is a... Hebrews 12:2. Looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame that sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. He saw what was through the cross that made it worth it for him and strengthened him into accepting what was in the cross. Um, in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, it says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hang on the tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior for the repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. See, God exalted him to be able to uh, to be the Savior and to be to be able to give forgiveness of sins because only the Father could have done that. And uh, let's see. Or in Philippians chapter 2 says, Wherefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. It glorifies God for us to lift up Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says, By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all, now, in verse 12, but this man, see, the man Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. It was the man Jesus, see, that was dying on that cross, sacrificing his life for us and, and being our scapegoat. You know, he took away those sins when the Spirit of Christ left him, and then he was exalted later then to the fullness of Godhead bodily so that Jesus and Christ are the same today but they were not until he left the cross and was exalted that 1 Timothy 2 5 and 6 says for there is one God one mediator between God and men the man Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time the man Jesus you know was going to be the mediator but uh, Paul pointed out that there was kind of a problem with that because uh, in explaining it because in Galatians 3.20 Paul says now a mediator is not a mediator of one but God is one so he's saying here that uh, Jesus is actually God now so God you know Jesus is not a mediator for us between us and God now Jesus is God <laughs> he's exalted he has been exalted by God to the fullness of the Godhead 
God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Christ. Uh, God's spoken living word. He, he, God and his word are the same. So here it is. Paul points it out and says, Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. See, so Jesus is not mediating between us and God now. God exalted him through that position. He is now a part and the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, now back to the circumcision and the water. Let's see. Requiring physical work on our part by being circumcised, water baptized, or obeying the law is saying that Jesus' perfect walk of faith, the seven sheddings of his blood, the suffering on the cross and everything, the terrible suffering of each one of those. Oh, I might mention those uh, shedding his blood on the cross and, and pointing out those seven ways that he was uh, shedding his blood on the cross. It di didn't, that doesn't count when the soldier came up and, uh, you know, stuck the sword in his side to see if he was dead or alive because he was already dead then so uh, that was just to fulfill the prophecies that none of his bones would be broken because if he had still been alive they would have broken his legs so that he would have died quicker or something well he was already dead so they didn't have to do that and there was a prophecy back in Psalms and other places that, that none of his bones would be broken and they weren't but see uh, the shedding of his blood uh, for the sacrificial requirement and everything was the seven, you know, the two feet, two hands, plucking his beard, the crown of thorns, and the stripes on his back. He was bleeding there in the seven ways, shedding his blood to fulfill those sacrificial requirements. The sword in his side was to keep them from breaking his leg so that the other prophecy that none of his bones be broken be fulfilled. So it so it, it requiring us to have to get baptized or have to get circumcised, anything like that, would be the same thing as saying all of this suffering and all this work that Jesus went through for us, it, it didn't, you know, completely fulfill it. We gotta do something too to add to it, to make it better. And you know, teachings like this are well, might as well just say it. it's from the devil because see, the devil does everything. The devil hates Jesus, and he does everything he can to uh, take away from what Jesus did, or to uh, make people believe different, or you know that all, uh, oh, you know, he didn't do it all for you and everything. You got to do something yourself, or like uh, people will say something like, "Grace is God's." unmerited favor you can't earn it you can't do this there's nothing you can do for it and all this stuff see that grace is a work of the spirit in our heart when we invite him to come in there is something we have to do we can't earn it just like we can't earn the new heart the new life or earn forgiveness but we must humble ourselves and invite God to do it ask forgiveness of our sins and invite God to send his spirit into our heart see that's when he comes in and that's when we receive the work of grace as a result of our faith accepting God's word we're a sinner that Christ is that Jesus is the answer and then when we respond properly then and we say Lord please forgive me come into my heart and save me then see God responds forgives of our sins creates in us a new heart, a new life at salvation, and it cleans us up. You know, I might say baptized by the Spirit then in our heart. Clean heart, new heart, and we all come into, you know, being a child of God, a new creature with a new, clean, pure heart with the Spirit of God, His love in us. And that's why we enter the body of Christ. That's why we enter, you know, the, becoming a child of God and everything. We all have that pure, clean heart when we get there. Now, but there's nothing we can do to earn it or anything like that. But the devil will do everything he can to take away from that because when you say God, grace is God's unmerited favor, no, that's not grace. Grace is not God's unmerited favor. In Romans chapter, let's find, find it real quick here. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. It says, Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's God's unmerited favor when we out there in a world of sin like that. God still loves us so much 
and he blesses us to draw us to him see and and that's when sometimes the people are even cursing God we have people in our society today that just ridicule Jesus and they do all kind of things you know those pictures and everything and you know uh, it just I don't know it's just terrible what some of the people are doing you know and running down Jesus in our society today but God still loves them God loves them and like he says in Ezekiel 33 11 says God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from their evil ways and live and that's what he wants to use us for uh, to help be witnesses to them to see how God treats his people we as Christians are supposed to be the light to the world we're supposed to be showing people what it's like to be a Christian and let them know where we're you know receiving our strength and blessings from you know give testimonies during the week where you go you know like that of, of what the Lord has done for you but now the devil will do everything he can to take away from Jesus uh, work on the cross and his suffering through that lifetime of walk of faith resisting sin and then is death on the cross for us to be set free of our sins and everything and that's how simple it is we just humble ourselves and say Lord please forgive me come into my heart and save me he cleanses our heart baptizes into the body of Christ but the devil will have people think well you got to do something else you got to do more you know uh, and they say grace is God's unmerited favor because see the devil doesn't want people to know about the true grace the changed heart the changed life and his spirit in us but it's not God's unmerited favor that unmerited favor is there in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 a blessing lost people to draw them to repentance grace is a work of the spirit in our heart to create in us a new heart a new life now our only action or response is to humble ourselves turn from sin ask forgiveness and invite the Spirit of Christ in our heart now then we'll receive that inward cleansing of the heart or baptism of the heart and the circumcision that Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 2 verse 29 where he said you know that uh, it's not the circumcision of the flesh but of the heart and that circumcision and the cleansing of the heart you know like that now in uh, 1 Peter 3.21 uh, it talks about you know that baptism does now save us uh, and this is what it's talking about there let's see where is it 1 Peter 3.21 let's see if I can find that real quick I can't seem to get it there but um, will 1 Peter chapter 3 got to be in here so here we go first Peter 3 1 like figure four into even baptism does also now save us now notice he puts in a parenthesis now it says not to putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God and then in the parenthesis it says by the resurrection of Jesus Christ so if we read it without the princes and it says the like figure according to even baptism does also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ see, his resurrection spirit comes to live in us and creates in us that new heart and it's by this resurrection spirit of Christ that we then or enter into the, the body of Christ of God like Ezekiel 36 26 a new heart also will give you a new spirit will I put within you and that's that resurrection spirit of Christ in Romans 8 9 says you're not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be the spirit of Christ dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his see it's when the spirit of Christ comes into our heart that we become that changed creature and become a child of God it says in Galatians 4 6 and because your sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart crying Abba father wherefore you no more a servant but a son if a son then heir of God through Christ so it's through the resurrection spirit of Jesus Christ coming into us that creates in us that new heart and Romans 8 11 says now if the spirit of him that raised Christ Jesus from the dead um, live in you he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you see it, it's a spirit the resurrection spirit of Christ coming into us 
and and that's what the devil doesn't want people to know you know the great work that Jesus did for us the people of the Old Testament they got forgiveness of sins when they called out to God we get forgiveness of sins when we call out to God and that is great that Jesus took our sins and everything from us we never have to have them anymore see they still had their sins though their sins were just covered until the next time they offered sacrifices we get the sins removed from us it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, in that cleansing, that, that baptism of the heart into the body of Christ and, you know, from his resurrection spirit, all that great work Jesus did, and all we have to do is just humble ourselves to his word, humble ourselves to him and say, Lord Jesus, or God, help, please forgive me of my sins come into my heart there's no exact words you have to say like in 2 Corinthians 2 um, 10, 10 11 says that excuse me 2 Corinthians 3 10 11 where it says the uh, oh, when it the heart of man turns to the Lord the veil of separation is lifted when it the heart of man 2 Corinthians 2 and I said it wrong but it's 2 Corinthians 2 16 when it the heart of man turns to the Lord, the veil of separation is lifted. Now, so we don't have to do anything but humble our hearts before the Lord and call out and ask Him for salvation. Now in Ephesians 2 8, where it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But there is something we must do. But it's not work, see. It's just humbling ourselves and inviting Him to create in us a new heart and new life. And again, like I mentioned earlier, the, the reason is, uh, grace is considered or the work of the Spirit in our hearts is considered a, a gift from God is because under the New Covenant, we receive you know, Christ in our heart when we ask God's forgiveness. In the Old Testament, they asked forgiveness and things, but they got forgiveness but they didn't receive the Spirit in their heart. So we don't have to ask for anything else. We don't pray and ask for grace. We pray and receive God's Word into our heart, and then when God's Word comes into our heart, the work of His Word, the work of His Spirit in our heart then, is the work of grace, because grace is the word we use then to describe any work of the Spirit of God in our heart. So it's like a free gift when compared to the people of the Old Testament and their covenant with God. They didn't receive that cleansing and work of the Spirit in their heart after they asked forgiveness. But we do. But we have to humble ourselves just like they did. We have to turn to Him with all our heart for Him to come in, forgive us, and receive that. Each of us should consider what we're depending on for our salvation. We may reply that we're a good person, we can help others as much as possible, we're well-liked, active in the community, we go to church regularly, we're as good as anyone else. We may have served in community action committees, church committees, you never harmed anyone. But the next scripture shows that for all of our goodness, it is still not enough to bring us into the proper relationship with God. We've got to humble ourselves. You know, even men working on Wall Street today, they'll be going to work and they're trusting in their knowledge and all this stuff about all these finances and their whole lives are built on, you know, making money and making more money and things like this. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. Other people are, you know, what do you have your life based on? What are you putting your trust in for your future? In Acts chapter 10, well, Acts chapters 10 and 11, there's a story of a guy named Cornelius, a Gentile. He was a very good man. He was well-bred. He was devout. He feared God. He gave of his wealth to those in need. And it says he even prayed to God always. Now, this wasn't a Jew. This was a Gentile. And somehow or another, he had come to the point of praying to God always. But in all his goodness, he was missing something. God, in his love, told Cornelius in a vision. Well, he sent an angel in a vision to Cornelius. And the angel told 
Cornelius. He said, Go call for a man, Simon Peter, who was a Jew, and tell him to tell him what he must do to be saved. See, so uh, in all of his goodness and everything, it's me and Cornelius, God told an angel to tell him, you go call after this Simon Peter, and he will come tell you what you need to do. With all his good works, he still had not been able to earn his salvation or right standing God's eyes, even while he prayed to God always. Then the apostle Peter tells what his purpose was in going to see Cornelius in Acts chapter 11, 14. He says, uh, I would tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Now, so God is sending Peter to Cornelius to tell him what to do to be saved. If you read the message that Peter gave Cornelius, it's in uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. He starts out, he didn't mention anything in the message about being circumcised. He didn't mention anything in the message about being baptized or obeying the law, uh, legalization or anything like that. Peter just explained to him about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as he was telling him that, they received the Spirit in their heart. Uh, they started you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying and shouting and screaming and everything. It just like the uh, disciples on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter goes back and tells the disciples when they jumped on him, he said, same thing happened to them that happened to us on the day of Pentecost. But see, the point here is, as good as Cornelius was, so well respected, prayed to God always, went through these motions. I did that a lot of times during the 20-something years that I thought I was a Christian. From age 9 to 33, there was a lot of times, you know, I, I was in a church, I taught classes, I, uh, I don't know what I taught, but anyway, I, I tried to teach classes. And... Uh, helped around the church, did all these type things, and I was close to God in my mind and heart as much as I could a lot of times. But see, I was missing Jesus in my heart, and that's what he's saying here. So what are you depending on for your salvation today? There's only Jesus is the way. Have you received the changed heart? Do you know for sure a time in your life now, I know many of you are going to say you're raised in uh, a Christian home and you did it when you were four and five and six and seven and eight years old and everything. Now, but I'm still going to ask you, do you know for sure then that even though you might have said like I did at those ages, I love the Lord and everything, that you received a changed heart? Did you see yourself as a sinner, as a young child like that, and then turn to the Lord and ask his forgiveness of sin and invite him to come into your heart? See, that's what it takes to become a child of God. And if you hadn't, work that out and make sure. I'm not saying you haven't now, that you couldn't have received Christ then. I'm just saying for you to please make sure that you're willing to stand before the Lord with your relationship with God now. Because when he comes in and creates in us a new heart, a new life, after we've had the, that uh, heart full of sin and hate and lust and things like this, and then he cleanses our heart, gives us a new heart, and puts his spirit of love in us, you will know it. Because if you recognized your sin so much that you wanted rid of it, you want to turn from it, when he removes it from you and puts his love in you, you will know that you've received the changed heart, Christ in you. And that's the only way you'll be welcome into heaven. Because in John chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, something like that, he says, Many are going to say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done these great and wonderful works, prophesied in your name, cast out demons, and done all these great works? He's going to say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And the reason he's going to say I never knew you is because, see, he says they shall all be taught of God. Therefore, if we're going to be taught of God, to come to him, we'll never get to him unless we learn properly and come and humble ourselves and invite him to come into our heart. I will continue tomorrow on baptism, or the next message on baptism. So, good day, and God bless you. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign.
ALRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. 